Last week, I went to Wembley to watch my football team play in a cup final. Now, North London is a very long way from Isla. Three days of travelling for a 90-minute game of football might seem a bit excessive, especially when your team loses. <laughs> but for me, it was a special day. To me, Wembley is a place of nostalgia. 30 years ago, my granddad took me to my first ever game there. It was at Wembley that he passed on to me my love of football and the team that I shall support, for better or worse, for the rest of my life. And there was a wonderful moment last Saturday when I sat with my uncle and my mother at a restaurant just outside the ground. And they reminisced about how my granddad, their dad, had also taken them to Wembley as children. And at that same table also sat my brother and his son. And at 10 years old, this was his first visit to the home of football. So this tradition has now passed on to a third generation. And my nephew is as hooked as all of us who've gone before him. And even at 2-0 down, as the game was coming to an end, the Wickham were going to lose. There was a moment where I looked around and thought about my granddad. All week, this week, I have been thinking about my family and the things that they have passed on to me. My granddad and dad both sang in choirs. I sing in a choir. My dad was a scout leader. My mum was a guide leader. They both loved camping and mat reading. I love camping and mat reading. My dad loves tinkering with bikes. I love riding them. My mum was a teacher. I'm a former teacher. My dad is bold. I think we get the point. <laughs> As human beings, we learn most from those who are closest to us. We are shaped by our family, those who we grow up with. But that does not mean that things happen automatically. Effort on our part is still required. My granddad was a good artist. He tried to teach me to draw. I'm a terrible artist because despite his tutoring, I never practiced. My mum was a home economics tutor. But I still don't know how to cook a roast dinner because I never wanted to listen. My dad is the most practical person I know, alongside Stan and Jim. But I can't put a shelf up straight because I was more interested in going out as a young person than spending time with my dad, something I now bitterly regret. So even those of us who are privileged to grow up in loving families with dedicated parents and grandparents like I had can miss out if we don't pay attention and we don't take to heart the things that they try to pass on to us. Thankfully, I did listen to the most important thing that my family had to pass on to me, and that was their faith in Jesus. My family always made it clear to me that at some point I would grow up and have to make my own decision to follow Jesus. But from birth, they nurtured me in the stories of the gospel. They raised me in an atmosphere of prayer and worship. They took me to church. And I will always be grateful for them introducing me to Jesus. But that is enough about me. 
I've set the theme. As human beings, we are shaped by the people around us. We are particularly shaped by our family, our biological family and our church family. Our parents formed us just as we form our children. And for good or bad, this will always be the case. As a church, this is our sixth week looking at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book in the Bible that is full of wisdom. We read Proverbs to gain God's advice on how to live our lives to the full. We read Proverbs to be nurtured in the practical common sense that will help us in all the ups and downs, all the choices and decisions of everyday life. And the first nine chapters of Proverbs form an introduction to the book. And they're made up of ten individual talks. Each one of these talks is in the form of a father speaking to his son. His son has just come of age, is about to enter the big wide world, and his father wants to pass on the best of his experience to him to guide him as he goes. In ancient Israel, wisdom was passed down the generations. Teaching was given within the family home. Instruction came in the context of a loving relationship. And in our passage today, we have three of these talks from parent to son. I've decided to combine them together because together they tell us something about the way God's wisdom works and the way that we are to apply it to our lives today. And I think we'll discover that the teaching in this passage is still very relevant to us here on Isla. So here is a trio of family reflections on wisdom and we'll take each one in turn to see what we can learn from it. The first talk is found in verses 1 to 9. And what we learn from this one is that God's wisdom has been tested. What I mean by that is that God's wisdom is passed on to us with the weight of all the generations that have gone before us behind it. Listen again to verses 1 to 4. Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so do not forsake my teaching. For I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands, and you will live. I hope we can see from those verses why I began this sermon with the illustrations that I did. For these verses are all about the forming of children. Interestingly, this is the only one of the ten talks in Proverbs 1-9 to that begins, Listen, my sons. That's sons plural rather than son singular. And that's very deliberate. It's highlighting the fact that this father is passing wisdom on to his son, and one day his son will pass it on to the grandson. As we've said, in Israel, God's wisdom is passed down the family. Now, when you think about this, there's a great advantage to it. Because it means that everything that is being taught 
has been tested and lived out in experience. God's teaching is being passed on from father to son and mother to daughter because it has been proved to work. Through the generations of faith, God's wisdom in the scriptures has been put to the test. And the questions have been asked again and again. Do God's laws and do God's instructions lead us to the best quality of life possible? And the answer from generations of believers is that yes, yes, they do. The Bible never promises us that life will be easy. Sometimes following God will lead us into opposition. And there is a reality to evil and sin in the world that means sometimes the innocent will suffer unjustly. But over the course of a lifetime, we can have confidence that if we put God's wisdom into practice, we will live the best life that we can possibly live. In these verses, it tells us that God's wisdom leads us to life and protection and honour. In fact, as the father passes on God's wisdom to his sons, he feels like he's presenting them with a glorious crown, it says in verse 9. You know, sometimes we can be very dismissive of the past. We can be tempted to think, oh, we now know much better than our forebears did. But there's a great danger that comes with that because it can lead us to miss out on a great source of wisdom. In a traditional society like ancient Israel, the time-tested understandings of the past are more valuable than the fresh opinions of today's headlines and the passing modern fads that so quickly come and go. And this tested wisdom can be a great comfort to young people who are going through a period of transition. Think about this young son in Proverbs. He's just come of age. He's about to enter the world of business and marriage and parenthood. And he's going to find himself in situations that are totally new to him. And at times those situations will be challenging. At times they'll be unsettling. Sometimes they may even be a little bit frightening to him. How good it will be for him to know that many other people have experienced those difficulties before him and found a way through them. And from listening to the experience distilled down into his father's teaching, he knows the best way to proceed when he's in trouble. You know, we all come to an age where we discover that our parents don't actually know everything and that they do make mistakes just like we do. But it would still be folly to assume that we have nothing to learn from the previous generation. And this is particularly true when it comes to issues of faith. In today's world, we might have more information and perhaps a wider knowledge than our forefathers ever did, but that doesn't mean that we have the wisdom to live in the right way or to build lasting relationships or to discover God. You only have to look at the news and read the statistics on marriage breakdown and mental burnout and various addictions to discover that. We may know more than ever, but that doesn't mean the world's a better place, does it? 
In fact, the more people that have ignored God's wisdom for living, the worse our world has become. So we all need to go back and listen to the forefathers of our faith. We need to go back and find the wisdom of the ages and it's recorded in the Bible because this is the wisdom that's been tested and shown to work. This is the wisdom that we know is from God and he wants the best for us. And the second half of this first talk is made up of a whole series of instructions. The father tells his son to seek out this tested wisdom of the ages. And when he finds it, he's got to take hold of it. Listen again to verses 5 to 9. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words. Do not turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom. She will protect you. Love her. She will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs all you have. Get understanding. Cherish her and she'll exalt you. Embrace her. She will honour you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Did you hear that? Get, get, do not forsake, do not forget. Love, cherish, embrace the tried and tested wisdom of God that has been passed down the generations as people have lived out the words of Scripture and found that it works. As believers today, we are always to be teachable and open and curious. We're always to have a fascination for the Scriptures and a deep respect for the older generation who have lived them out before us. They have put God's wisdom to the test and found that it works and we have a lot to learn from them. This leads us very neatly on to the second talk uh, between father and son in this chapter, and this is found in verses 10 to 19. And the theme of this second talk is that God's wisdom must be trusted. In this talk, we come across the familiar image that we've encountered before in Proverbs, that in life... There are two paths that lay before us. There is the way of God's wisdom and there is the way of the wicked. And experience has taught this father that the way of God's wisdom is by far the best. In fact, in these verses, it's described as straight and smooth and shining with the light of God's righteousness. Whereas the way of the wicked is ridden with anxiety and violence and darkness. It's not a safe place at all. But despite there being a very clear difference between the two paths that are available, this father is wise. And he knows that to a young man, the way of the wicked can still seem pretty attractive at times. Maybe the way of the wicked seemingly offers a shortcut to success. The temptation of easy money, easy sex, easy power. Maybe the way of the wicked is thronged with crowds. Many of the young man's friends are upon it and they're calling him over to join them. We all know the power of peer pressure, don't we? Leading us astray into unhealthy practices and activities that distract us from God. 
So again, these parents set about urging their son, do not set foot on the way of the wicked. Do not travel on it. In fact, turn right away from it and choose again to follow God's way. As is laid out in the scriptures, as I am passing on to you, as the Holy Spirit will guide you in your conscience. If you scan through these verses in your Bible, you will notice a whole collection of words that are linked to travel and journey. Words such as walk, run, set foot, path, way, and there are others. And what this language is reminding us is that following Jesus is not just a one-off decision that we make once and then never think about him again. Following Jesus is an intensely practical matter and every day we will have to choose to step out and follow his way through the world. You see, the Christian faith is not just a philosophy or an ideology. It's not just a set of beliefs reserved for a Sunday or the reciting of a creed in church. The Christian faith is a journey, a movement of steady and determined progress towards God. So we need to be reading God's guidance in our Bible again and again. And every day trying to do our best to act upon it. So what this father says to his son in Proverbs 4 is this, keep trusting the path. Keep trusting the path of God's wisdom. Keep walking along it. Even if you cannot always see where it's leading, even if the rewards at the end seem a long way off because all your mates on the other path have got some short-term gain, Trust the path. Trust the wisdom of God. Trust this path. It will take you to where you want to go. In fact, it's the only path that will take you to where you want to go. As I said, for us here on Isla today, that means that we need to keep trusting our Bible. We need to trust the advice that is in it and not water it down just because society pressures us to do it. It's been inspired by the Spirit and it's been tested down through the ages. Put God's word into action by actively walking the path and doing it with determination. So far then, in the first talk of this chapter, we've heard that God's wisdom has been tested by the generations that have gone before us and it works. That's why we're still passing it down in church today. And then in the second talk, we've heard that we're not just to read God's word or listen to God's word. We've got to trust it enough to do it. We've got to put it into practice. We've got to walk the path. That then leaves us with talk number three. Talk number three is found in verses 20 to 27. And the theme of this talk is this. God's wisdom is to be treasured. Let me read again to you verses 20 to 22. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. 
The father instructs his son to keep God's wisdom in his heart. In other words, he's to treasure it. We're to love God's word. We're to go back to it time and time again. We're to put a really high value on it so that we don't let things get in the way of us reading it. And of course, if we really treasure it, we'll try and do it. But I find the verse that comes next really interesting. Verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You see, on the one hand, we have to fill our hearts with God's wisdom. But on the other hand, we're not to let anything else get in that would take up the space that wisdom should have. You see, in Jewish thought, the heart was not the organ that pumps blood around our bodies. It was the seat of our mind and our emotions and our will. In Jewish thought, what's in your heart shapes and motivates your actions. From your heart, everything else flows. And if you scan down the verses that follow this, you'll see that what's in our heart affects what we do with our lips and what we do with our hands and what we do with our feet, indeed our whole body. Now, for some of us, when we hear this instruction to guard our hearts, we'll immediately remember the teaching of Jesus when he said something very similar in Matthew 15. There, in rather more negative terms, Jesus taught his listeners that if we allow our hearts to become unclean, then unclean things come out of it. Jesus said it's out of the heart that murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander comes. Guard your heart, he said. So how do we do that? How do we guard our hearts? Well, we're to watch what we put in it. We're to take care about what we spend our time thinking on. In this talk, the father begins by telling his son to be careful what he listens to. He's only to listen to the tried and tested wisdom of God, not the popular trends of the age. And then the father also tells his son to be careful about what he looks at. Verse 25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. The eyes are the window of the soul, aren't they? What we let our eyes linger on goes straight into our hearts. And so here is a clear lesson about the danger of pornography and, and violent films and violent video games and unhealthy gossip on social media and bad teaching on YouTube. All those things that we watch go straight into our hearts. If you take these things in with your eyes, it will pollute you. They will take up the space in your heart that should be for God's wisdom to occupy. So part of guarding our heart is shielding our eyes and our ears from the negative, And the other part is allowing it to be filled with the positive. Treasuring the scriptures. Treasuring worship with other believers. Treasuring thoughts about Jesus. Treasuring the wisdom that's passed down to us through our church family. 
I'm going to end there. We began this sermon by thinking about how we're formed by our family, our biological family and our church family. And we should be grateful to those who have nurtured us and say thank you to them if we still can. And we should remember that whether we like it or not, we'll be forming the children. The children in this church, the children in our families, the people around us. In this book of Proverbs, a father and a mother are labouring to pass on the best advice that they can to their son. And in these three talks, they've told us three important things about the wisdom of God. God's wisdom has been tested for centuries and found to work. Why on earth would you leave it and go to something else? God's wisdom must be trusted. We have to put it into practice. And God's wisdom is so good, we have to treasure it. To treasure it in our hearts, to the exclusion of everything else, so that our hearts are on fire for God. We, like the son in Proverbs, are being urged to listen to this advice and walk God's path. And if we do, we'll make the best of our days here. And we know that glory will await when they finish.